Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting right now on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories and song, and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling here today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We're broadcasting from Redfern. This is the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Tanya Ali. Last week, we touched on the hard lockdown of nine public housing buildings over in Melbourne and how this directly and disproportionately affected black and brown communities. Today, you're going to hear a conversation between Melbourne musician Remy and Najat Musa, a 22-year-old resident of one of the towers in Flemington, about what life has been like on the ground in this time. Part of this conversation originally aired on Melbourne community radio station Triple R, and we're really grateful to be able to bring it to you today. We'll start with an introduction from Remy and some context about the situation. My name is Remy, and I'm here with the sole purpose of amplifying the voice of the people. At 3 p.m. on Saturday, the 4th of July, the Daniel Andrews government ordered the forced detention of 3,000 government housing residents across Flemington, Kensington, and North Melbourne in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. 500 police officers were deployed onto these communities to enforce that no one could leave the buildings for any reason effective immediately. That's no food, work, exercise, etc. This move was unprecedented, as the rest of the state outside of GovHousing has been given between 24 to 48 hours to prepare for lockdowns where they would still be able to get supplies and leave their homes for a limited number of reasons. In his press conference, Daniel Andrews said, We will provide any and all support to those impacted residents. It will be a massive logistical task to ensure that those people are fed and given the support that they need. I think we are equal to that task. This quickly proved to be a lie. The only government intervention being provided for the first three days was police. All food and support for those first three days being organized and provided by community members on the outside of the towers. Both community members and volunteers have watched in horror as donations of food, medicine, and essentials like nappies and baby formula were suddenly confiscated by authorized officers after more than 48 hours of needing these essential items and having to rely on grassroots and community-led efforts. The food finally delivered by government has been cited as moldy, expired, non-halal, and non-sufficient. Medical care has been restricted, with many residents having to negotiate to receive simple medications and essential procedures during what is supposed to be a healthcare crisis. Since then, there have been multiple incidents of police violence against community members and volunteers. Councillor and community member Tigas Kabede says on the ground, police officers outnumber all of the volunteers, departmental workers, services and medical staff combined. They have the largest physical presence and present the greatest risk to community volunteers and residents. The volunteers are literally our family members and our friends. Volunteers are stepping up and filling gaps as they are hearing directly from the residents of the epic failures of government. 
Volunteers are exposing themselves to police brutality in order to provide basic essential medical and food services for residents. Eight out of the nine public housing buildings put under forced attention have been released into stage three COVID-19 restrictions. However, we still have one building under forced attention. These people are still not receiving the goods and services that they need. And it also doesn't mean that any of this has been okay. There's been a media blackout on this situation. Most of the information being shared is either by community on social media or it's lies being spread by biased mainstream media in an effort to justify the vicious mistreatment of the members of these communities. But we don't play that shit. So today, I want to talk to one of the incredibly brilliant and resilient members of the community who has just gotten out of detention. The resident I will be talking to today is Najat Musa, a 22-year-old Eritrean sister who has lived on the Flemington estate her whole life. She's been one of the key media sources on what has been happening during the forced detention. So please let that sink in. Najat, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining Thank me. you for having me. Thank you for having me, Remy. You guys have been an amazing support. Man, I like, I've been looking forward to having a conversation with you in some way, shape or form since yeah, I saw same. You. Like, cause you've been so good. Like you've been holding it down. Like. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, you, you got to protect that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's big facts. And um, yeah. so I guess like now that, cause we were going to have this conversation yesterday when you were still in detention. So now that you're free, how's it feeling? Oh, it feels amazing it feels like i got my freedom back like <laughs> basically right <laughs> like my mood's completely shifted from yesterday till now well i'm so happy to hear that i'm really happy to hear that and i guess it is a bit bittersweet because some of the homies are still locked down right yeah no nah, it doesn't feel right like we've still got one building that's locked down in north melbourne mm. and it's just it doesn't feel right like w- you know we need everyone to be free for us to like proper celebrate i guess Totally. And especially like, you know, I think so many people forget. I mean, they wouldn't know because obviously they've shown that they haven't really cared um, <laughs> how connected these communities are and um, how the responses literally from family members and friends. You know, this is this is the people. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I don't think they expected the community to really step up and look after um, each other like that. I don't think they expected what was going on in North Melbourne, the Amsa uh, mosque and yeah, I think they were kind of shocked and, you know, taken back by the, the support kind of thing. Well, definitely. I mean, they, I, I think it's quite clear that they wouldn't have pulled this type of shit if they thought there was going to be a response like this that would embarrass them so much, you know? <laughs> oh, 100%. And I hope they get really embarrassed. Like, this is, this is embarrassing. You're meant to be, the people who are lo- meant to be looking after us are uh, doing this to us. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's proper shameful. Like, it's proper yeah. shameful. Um, but I guess like everything, we also talked about how, like, regardless, um, of whether you've been freed or not, like this has to be addressed and we have to document this because this just should not be happening at all. Um, it speaks to way bigger issues. So, um, if you're cool, I'd love to just kind of ask some questions around like your experience up until this point. Um, Yeah, sure, sure. So I guess let's, let's start from the beginning. Um, so Saturday, when this forced detention was announced, how did you find out that you were in this so-called hard lockdown? Um, so I actually got confronted by the police um, face-to-face. So I was initially at home. Um, I got home around 2 p.m. that day. Mm-hmm. And I was just chilling at home, you know, had a face mask on, having some coffee. Mm-hmm. And but we were kind of, I guess, expecting the lockdown to happen because our surrounding 
um, neighborhoods were in lockdown. Like the people across the street on the other side in Travancore, yeah. um, like I could see them from my window. They were on like lockdown. Okay. Their postcode was on lockdown. And then people like on the, the other other side and the other suburbs were also in lockdown. So we're like, you know what? Flemington's going to go on lockdown soon. So we're expecting that. Everyone kind of knew what was going to happen. Mm. And we were already on lockdown in the past, um, the first wave. So we knew we knew how it goes and we knew how it went, um, like the rules and regulations and how they applied and everything. So initially when we heard the Premier's um, press conference, I went downstairs, literally like within 20 minutes, police were already there, like 20 police officers waited at the door with um, like confused residents of the building asking questions. Police didn't know what was going on. Residents didn't know what was going on. There was no one to liaise between us to answer our questions. Yeah, pretty much that's how I found out. That's so foul. And that's like, that seems to be the, um, the general consensus for everybody across the, the buildings is that they just went down and no one really knew what was going on. Um, yeah, least. literally. Um, and I guess, so we've got reports from residents saying police were on site before it was even announced. Was that your experience or was it a bit tamer? Yeah. Like tamer? That was the same? Yeah. So, um, like, as I mentioned, I was, I got home around 2 PM. Mm. So when I was, um, like when I walked into the estate, I saw two police cars, one under, underneath my building and one underneath the building across. Um, I didn't think much of it because we do see some cop cars in Flemington. Like um, they always kind of find a reason to be posted on the block. But um, yeah, so I saw them and I was just like, I was a bit confused. Like, I don't know why there's police here, but allow it, you know. <laughs> so got home two hours later, find out what on the lockdown. So it made like, you know, it's like they were kind of already prepared. They knew what was going on. Totally. And then, which makes us even more, I guess, um, suspicious of you giving so much yeah um so how long after you found out um via police and i guess the press press conference did the government provide you with comprehensive information on what was going on oh well okay so we got locked up on saturday afternoon and the government not the government the police knocked on our door with flyers informing us of the detention on saturday night at around 10 o'clock Okay. I believe, yeah, around 10 o'clock. Yeah. So you were just in the dark up until that point. Um, yeah. And they did, and it was like, it was conf- like from what we can see, it looked like they had, like they'd announced five days, but on the, the detention order, it literally said detention order. It, it said 14, yeah? Yeah. It, um, so the detention order said um, five, up to five to 14 days. Yeah. So... It was still very kind of like we didn't know, so we didn't have we didn't have any we didn't have any answers. Like we were so confused, they didn't answer any of our questions. It was it was it was not helpful at all, pretty much. Yeah, we needed um, someone there from as a representative to speak and answer our questions, and no one showed up. So, so they didn't yeah. provide any. Um, they didn't provide any help at that point, like for you to like for, no. for residents to understand what was going on if they didn't speak English. Oh, no. The, the papers, the flyers were reading in English. Majority of the residents living here, if they knew, if they cared about their residents, they would know that no one really can read English besides the youth. Mm. The people who don't have children um, to read for them, I'm not sure, like, how they got their information. I'm, I'm going to assume from the news and the media. Mm. Right. But, yeah. Just foul. Just foul behavior. Um, <laughs> so... 
Daniel Andrews said that there will be medical and health professionals provided alongside police. What has been your experience with that to this date? Um, yeah, so I actually heard that. I heard him saying that in the conference saying that there was going to be over 500 police officers and um, as well as medical practitioners. Within the first two days, I saw no medical practitioners. Um, looking across my, looking outside my window across to the other building, mm. um, I did see like no, people in nurses' uniform and stuff um, walking in and out. I think they were people, the ones conducting the tests. Okay. So we didn't have any actual mental health or social workers or community workers in on the estate. Um, as no one was really allowed in or out, it was really difficult for anyone to come in and out. And even though they should have provided it, and obviously if they provided the um, mental health and medical practitioners, mm. they would have been able to come and visit each resident. Totally. But no, there were no, no, no health professionals. So yeah, it was really just COVID testers, like no other people on site. Um, you didn't get tested for, like they, did they, tell, they told you on a Monday or something? That means, sorry, they told you on, was it Monday that you were going to get tested at 10 or something and then it just didn't happen or? Yeah, they told us on, um, on the Sunday night. Sorry, they handed out the papers on Sunday night. I think I said Saturday before. Um, okay, so they told it was us like a Sunday day night. after. Did they get yeah, it was a day after. It was a whole. It was over twenty four hours after. Um, they, the when they were handing out our flyers on Sunday night, mm. uh, I asked when we were going to get tested, and the police officers, of course, they were they didn't know any information, um, but they pretty much just told us they were going to start our building at ten a.m. on the Monday. Yeah, and yeah, it came to about four o'clock in the afternoon on Monday, and I was like, "What the hell?" There's still no. Um, no one here testing anyone, anyone. And I asked people when I on my building from like the 20th floor to like the lower levels and everyone mm. was like, no, I didn't get tested. I didn't get tested. Man. So they ended up testing us literally um, two days ago. So on the third or fourth day, fourth yeah. day. Yeah. So it's no. literally just police. The only people that talked to you were police. Yeah, the police and the um, Department of Housing when they called me the second last day continuing on from that i guess um th the three-day mark it um you also said that all food and support have been provided by community leaders and community members from the outside i guess how did that how did that continue was that like was there any more support from the government or was it just all community yeah i really want to highlight the community work like honestly it's it has been amazing the support from our community mm. wow we are just so appreciative like we honestly didn't like if it was up to the government i think mm. no one would have eaten for like the first three days yeah like they took initiative you guys took initiative you guys packed our um orders and you guys knew what we wanted you guys made checked in with the residents and you you delivered to the best um you know capacity because i know people were getting sent back and stuff but um, I honestly think if it wasn't for you guys, we would not have eaten for like three to four days into the lockdown. That's crazy. It's ridiculous. Wait, so how quickly did you get food from um, the community? How quickly did it get to you? Oh, within the first night. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad. I'm really glad the community showed <laughs> out, man. For real. I'm so proud of my community. Shout out to you guys. Ah, oh, gang, 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 honestly. Gang. <laughs> <I> <laughs> <laughs> um, so the community i guess also like there's been a lot of like misinformation around the community as far as like, with the residents as far as um 
I guess, how many precautions you have been taking during COVID-19 for yourselves and stuff. Um, and, you know, it, you guys have really been looking out for yourselves during COVID um, before any of this ha um, happened. So can you speak on like the, I guess, the precautionary measures you've been taking um, and what the government has provided you, I guess, to help during this time period? Uh, sure. So um, during the first wave, um, around March and April, end of March, uh, April, and I don't remember how long it lasted, but anyway, during the first wave, um, obviously, like, our circumstances are different in regards to social distancing because we do live in a tight, in a tight building where the lifts are very necessary for residents to, you know, to manoeuvre around the building. Yeah. So... Um, obviously, we had to take extra precautions in regards to um, how many people were allowed in the lifts at a time, um, just getting the information around hand sanitizers, like hygiene-wise. Like it, it was kind of hard because we didn't really have support from the outside in regards to, um, like you know, like looking after ourselves and the, um, the disinfection, dis disinfection of the building. Mm. Um, so I, me, and I, like I know a couple of other the res, uh, a couple of the other residents on the estate had rung up um, the Department of Housing, um, the DHSS, and just you know requested that we got requested that we got um, our lifts and laundries sanitized and disinfected. Our um, we got hand sanitizers and PPE wear, and we um, and that information to be translated and posters to be handed around so people are aware of what's going on and the seriousness of it. Mm. And the response from the um, department was they literally um, put up a hand sanitizer, like a, the disposal ones, and they just pretty much put, put it up in each building. Yep. And just one. once that ran out, yeah, just one. And once I ran out, they never filled it up. And it literally ran out within like a couple hours. And they filled it up every three to four weeks, literally. Um, and every time we called them, they'll just be like, we're doing our best. We're doing the best we can. Yes, yes, it's going to happen. Yes, this is going to happen. Yes, 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 yes. And it was all, it was rubbish, really. Like we had to look after ourselves. We, you know, we, we, we try to social distance in the lift as much as we can. It is pretty hard because we only have two lifts and there's about the over... I don't know how many people that live in each building. Mm. Um, so it's quite difficult, honestly, and especially because the apartment's actually not too big and we have families of, like, like my neighbour has, like, six kids, his her and her husband, and they're all under the age of, under the age of eight. Mm. Um, that's pretty much it, really. They didn't really do much. Um, so on the day of... The second day of the lockdown, we had police inside the building, of course, and I came down and we had a table full of everything that I've been asking for. It was just ridiculous. And like, there were face masks, gloves, persons in um, different languages. Um, it was just hand, hand sanitizers. Everything that the community has been asking for, it was there within a couple of hours. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And so, and this, so this, so all of those social distancing measures in the lift, like all of that stuff, that was community enforced. Like you weren't supposed to do that. You weren't encouraged to do that yeah yeah 100 percent. we were told to social distance within the lift like so long after i think it's like three months after we already we've already been doing it yeah it's like yeah we knew what was right like we're not stupid you know like we know what's right we're not gonna go into a packed lift when there's a pandemic going around like 
And I guess this leads into like another one of the videos that um, you posted um, showing pools of water that were left from defrosting food donations and rubbish left all over the floor in the entrance to your building. Um, yeah. And so I guess that just really speaks to like, so the, the, the original cleaners that you have, they're meant to be handling yeah. that, right? Like not the ones that are, have just been hired to disinfect, like that's their regular job. I wouldn't even know, honestly, because I haven't seen the original cleaners. Um, I don't know if they were even allowed in the estate. I actually haven't seen them. Okay. The only cleaners that I've seen were the ones in all black. Um, yep. They are the ones that were in charge of the disinfection, but they're also in charge of um, cleaning, general cleaning, you know? Yeah. Um, and like I saw them, I saw them in the building, but I honestly don't know what they were doing. Because when I went downstairs, the, the foyer was a, just, it was a mess. And so I don't know. Yeah, we're going to hold on to all these videos and we'll post them up yeah. at some point. Um, obviously, this is going to be going to radio. So, But, you know, these videos are available for the people that are listening right now. And it's foul, man. Like, you know, we've got many people um, that are older, people with disabilities, even like, you know, young mm-hmm. kids who don't understand who are going to go and play in yeah. this water. You know, like this, this is the reality of the situation that you were put in, you know? 100%, yeah. Um, so I guess... The next part I want to kind of talk about is um, the other government officials that were employed, um, and which is DHHS. And um, volunteers have talked about conflicting information given by police and DHHS, which is the Department of Health and Human Services, apparently, causing confusion and in some cases causing violence against community members. So what has your experience been with that? Um, so for me, as a, a person on the inside, I personally, like, the only incident I, I really had with authority was really the lift incident where they wouldn't pretty much leave, get out of the lift, mm-hmm. and they were being very rude and just brushing it off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did see videos of the volunteers getting harassed and abused by police officers that were meant to be suspended yeah. from, from previous um, abuse on this day. So I did see those shocking, shocking videos and I was just, it, that just furiated me. Like I was so angry. Um, and it just, I felt kind of helpless cause I was on the inside and it was just like, it was just disgusting, honestly, disgusting behavior. Straight up. So, um, I guess like the last thing that I really have to talk to you about is because like, you know, apparently everybody, I mean, well, everybody's now been apart from, um, Alfred street everybody's been moved to stage three COVID restrictions. Um, yeah. so what's the, um, the police presence like, and also um, apparently there's prison guards or something that's going to be enforced or something. I heard that as well. I'm not sure. Um, so I'm not hundred percent sure in regards to who is going to be looking after the um, residents in Alfred street, mm. free the block free Alfred street, by the way. Um, anything, I'm not sure who exactly is looking after the, um, the, you know, the authority figures that were going to be looking after the building. Mm. Um, I did hear rumours that they were going to have correctional officers. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure. But, yeah, like, it's just, oh, I feel so sorry. Like, it doesn't feel right that all the buildings are not free, you know. 100%. But, you know, we'll get there soon. Totally. And we're getting um, also, you know, we're getting information from the ground hearing that they are still being mistreated treated in the way that you have been oh, mistreated no. over five days um so we're gonna help um as much as we can you know we're gonna keep talking about this yeah. we're gonna keep sharing it um but yeah I, I guess i just like really hope that 
what is seen from this is how much money has been wasted. Um, Literally. You know, because we're talking about DHHS didn't do a thing. Police yeah. didn't do a thing. Um, we had yeah. SES coming through, taking yeah. food, food donations. We have fire brigade rocking up and sitting around yeah. for five hours without telling anybody <laughs> and then just being petty and leaving without telling anybody that they were there just want to take food <laughs> donations. And then we're talking about now two cleaning companies. Yeah. Know? And it's like, this is all the money. And then on top of that, it's just like, you know, I bought so much milk personally for people in the house. Yeah. Resonance, like, you know, fresh it's, milk. Yeah. They've wasted that. They wasted so much of the donations. So, literally, um, you know, I guess like, where are some places you would have loved to see that funding go, you know? Um, in regards to the food, because we we do have a, um, like, I think we have a lot of food left over um, underneath the buildings from the donations. Yeah. I think, I think they should definitely go to like homeless shelters or, you know, just hand it out to the homeless mm. um, instead of, you know, just going to waste. In regards to the money, I think it should honestly, like honestly go on working with the kids that were affected by this. Like now we're going under a, well, a stage three, six weeks of um, staying at home. Mm. The kids, they need to go back to school, like online school. They need iPads, they need books. There's yeah. some kids that... Um, you know, they don't, they don't have iPads. It's been very hard for them to do the online schooling, um, tutors, like video calls, because the parents don't really speak English. Majority of the parents don't speak English. Mm. I think, you know, tutors um, to help the children. Oh, I'm sorry. I just got a call. But yes, yeah, um, students, um, tutors to help the students with, um, you know, the homework because the parents are unable to um, solely focus on, um, pretty much children, as well as I think we, we need mental health practitioners of the African background, African background to help with, you know, the stress and the, you know, the state, the mental state of everyone's kind of, you know, everyone that was affected by this. Mm. So I think, you know, that's where the money needs to be focused on, you know, just helping the residents and yeah. Totally. And I guess like my final question to you is like, you know, this was apparently all based um, on healthcare, um, how do you believe? How do you feel like your health was cared for during this? It wasn't cared for, like yeah, at all. Not my physical health, not my mental health. For example, they they let us roam the building, take the stairs, use our laundries while we were trapped inside. So everyone usually, like usually, half the buildings out do at work, at school, mm. and the other half is in is that in their homes, you know. Mm. So we don't really bumping to each other like that. But now I, I saw people that I haven't seen in years in my building. I, like, I forgot they even lived in the building because we're all trapped together. You know what I mean? Nothing. Like they didn't care. They're telling us, they're telling us, yeah, you can, the police officers are literally telling me, yeah, you can, you're free to roam around, free to take stairs, free to go up and down, free to come down to the foyer. Free, yeah, you're free, free to take the lift pretty much. It, it's contradicting because you're telling us that, you're doing this for our health and safety and because you want us to social distance, mm. but you're allowing us to move around the building. It d- didn't make sense. And okay. secondly, mental, mental, like mental wise, like we had no help from any mental health practitioner, any mental health, you know, um, professional. We had no help whatsoever. So our health was not cared for whatsoever. This was, was not for the best interest of looking after us. That's Najat Musa, a 22-year-old resident of one of the public housing blocks that was subject to a hard lockdown in Melbourne the week before last, in conversation with Melbourne musician Remy Kolawole. 
A big thank you to Najat and Remy for allowing us to share their conversation and to Triple R in Melbourne for facilitating this. And a reminder too that One Block is still under a hard police-enforced lockdown. It's in Alfred Street. And if you want to take action, we've popped a letter template to the Victorian government over at our Race Matters programs page. Just head to fbiradio.com forward slash programs and click through to Race Matters to find it. That is all for Race Matters this week. You can find us at fbiradio.com forward slash race matters or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next time. Race matters. 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 Race matters.